Hey everybody, uh, like Pastor McMurtry mentioned, my name is Jim Weeb. Uh, we're from Manitoba, Canada. Closest town is Snowflake. And don't worry that you don't know what that is because most people in Manitoba don't know where that is. So, <laughs> so my wife's name is Judy, uh, my oldest son Michael, and then Kimberly, Abigail, Kezia, Miriam, and Lydia. So one boy and five girls. So I came out here because I want to listen to Pastor McMurtry uh, preach, but who's going to say no if he gives you an opportunity to preach? So um, if you turn in your Bibles to Judges chapter 11, we'll start our study there. Judges chapter 11. In Judges chapter 11 it reads, Now Jephthah the Giladite was a mighty man of valor, and he was the son of an harlot. And Gilead begat Jephthah. And Gilead's wife bare him sons, and his wife's sons grew up. And they thrust out Jephthah and said unto him, Thou shalt not inherit in our father's house, for thou art the son of a strange woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brethren and dwelt in the land of Tob. And there were gathered vain men to Jephthah and went out with him. And it came to pass in process of time that the children of Ammon made war against Israel. And it was so that when the children of Ammon made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to fetch Jephthah out of the land of Tob. And they said unto Jephthah, Come and be your captain, that we may fight with the children of Ammon. And Jephthah said unto the elders of Gilead, Do not ye hate me and expel me out of my father's house? And why are you come unto me now when you are in distress? And the elders of Gilead said unto Jephthah, Therefore we turn again to thee now, that thou mayest go with us and fight against the children of Ammon, and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. And Jephthah said unto the elders of Gilead, If you bring me home again to fight against the children of Ammon, and the, del- and the Lord deliver them before me, shall I be your head? And the elders of Gilead said unto Jephthah, The Lord be witness between us, if we do not so according to thy words. And Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and captain over them. And Jephthah uttered all his words before the Lord in Mizpah. And Jephthah sent messengers unto the king of the children of Ammon, saying, What hast thou to do with me, that thou art come against me to fight in my land? And the king of the children of Ammon answered unto the messengers of Jephthah, Because Israel took away my land when they came up out of Egypt, from Arnon even unto Jabok and unto Jordan. Now therefore restore those lands again peaceably. And Jephthah sent messengers again unto the king of the children of Ammon, and said unto him, Thus saith Jephthah, Israel took not away the land of Moab, nor the land of the children of Ammon. But when Israel came up from Egypt, and walked through the wilderness unto the Red Sea, and came to Kadesh, then Israel sent messengers unto the king of Edom, saying, Let me, I pray thee, pass through thy land. But the king of Edom would not hearken thereto, and in like manner they sent unto the king of Moab. But he would not consent, and Israel abode in Kadesh. Then they went along through the wilderness, encompassed the land of Edom and the land of Moab, and came by the east side of the land of Moab, and pitched on the other side of Arnon, but came not within the border of Moab, for Arnon was the border of Moab. And Israel sent messengers unto Zihon, king of the Amorites, the king of Heshbon, and Israel Israel said unto him, Let us pass, we pray thee, through thy land into my place. But Sihon trusted not Israel to pass through his coast, but Sihon gathered all his people together and pitched in Jahaz and fought against Israel. 
And the Lord God of Israel delivered Zihon and all his people into the hand of Israel, and they smote them. So Israel possessed all the land of the Amorites, the inhabitants of that country. And they possessed all the coasts of the Amorites from Arnon, even unto Jabbok, and from the wilderness, even unto Jordan. So now the Lord God of Israel hath dispossessed the Amorites from before his people Israel. And shouldest thou possess it? Wilt, thou, wilt not thou possess that which Chemosh, thy God, giveth thee to possess? So whomsoever the Lord our God shall drive out from before us, them will we possess. And now art thou anything better than Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab? Did he ever strive against Israel, or did he ever fight against them? Well, Israel dwelt in Heshbon and her towns, and in Aror and her towns, and all the cities that belong by the coast of Arnon, three hundred years. Why therefore did ye not recover them within that time? Wherefore I have not sinned against thee, but thou doest me wrong to war against me. The Lord, the judge, be judged this day between the children of Israel and the children of Ammon. Howbeit the king of the children of Ammon hearkened not unto the words of Jephthah which he sent him. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he passed over Gilead and Manasseh, and passed over Mizpah of Gilead. From Mizpah of Gilead he passed over unto the children of Ammon. And Jephthah vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, If thou shalt without fail deliver the children of Ammon into mine hands, then it shall be that what that whatsoever cometh forth of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from thy children of Ammon, from the children of Ammon, shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. So Jephthah passed over unto the children of Ammon to fight against them, and the Lord delivered them into his hands. And he smote them from Aror, even till thou come to Mineth, even twenty cities, and unto the plain of the vineyards with a very great slaughter. Thus the children of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. And Jephthah came to Mizpah unto his house, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with timbrels and with dances, and she was his only child. Beside her he had neither son nor daughter. And it came to pass when he saw her that he rent his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, thou hast brought me very low, and thou art one of them that trouble me. For I have opened my mouth unto the Lord, and I cannot go back. And she said unto him, My father, if thou hast opened thy mouth unto the Lord, do to me according to that which hath proceeded out of thy mouth. For as much as the Lord hath taken vengeance for thee of thine enemies, even of the children of Ammon. And she said unto her father, Let this thing be done for me. Let me alone two months, and I may go up and down upon the mountains, and bewail my virginity, I and my fellows. And he said, Go, and he sent her away for two months. And she went with her companions, and bewailed her virginity upon the mountains. And it came to pass at the end of two months, that she returned unto her father, who did with her according to his vow which he had vowed, and she knew no man, and it was custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went yearly to lament the daughters of Jephthah the Giladite four days in a year. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for uh, giving us a safe trip here and, and this opportunity to preach. Just fill me with your spirit and, and help me edify your people. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I'm just going to take my coat off. I'm not used to the heat in the U.S. here. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so the part of the chapter there that I want to focus on or start off there, actually we'll back up and just read a couple of verses in uh, chapter 10, uh, verse 13. It says, so uh, just a little bit of background here. So if you've read through the Bible, which I'm sure many of you have, you know that the children of Israel went through cycles. They, they, they were they were. Okay. They were in a state of obedience with God, and then they went down, and they went up and down and up and down. And, and right here, they're in a state of disobedience again. They're in, in the low part of the cycle, and God allowed the children of Ammon to come and out to fight against them. 
And they call on him to, to help them. But look at what he says in verse 13 of chapter 10. It says, Yet ye have forsaken me and served other gods, wherefore I will deliver you no more. Go and cry unto the gods which ye have chosen. Let them deliver you in the time of your tribulation. Okay, so they were trusting in their other gods, and now when things get really tough, they are asking the real God for help. And he says, go, go ask the people, go ask the gods that you are trusting in. But the children of Israel did humble themselves, they got rid of their false gods, and, and God winds up having pity on them. And, and you, you'll see, you saw in chapter 11 that he allows Jephthah to be their savior. Um, and the first things we notice in chapter 11, right at the beginning, was that Jephthah was a man of valor, valor and that he was a son of an harlot. So just as an aside, um, God, you, just because you are born into a low estate or, or your, your life is, is nothing much, God can still use you. And he used Jephthah there. And let's drop down to verse 27 of uh, chapter 11. So, and it's not that Jephthah was trusting in himself to win this victory. In verse 27 we see that, Wherefore I have not sinned against thee, but thou doest me wrong to war against me. This is what he's telling uh, the Ammonites. The Lord the judge be judge this day between the children of Israel and the children of Ammon. So he's trusting God that God's going to do what's right in this battle. And it's, it's not going to be the Israelites that are going to win this battle, but it's going to be the Lord. And the Spirit of the Lord does come upon Jephthah. In verse 29 it says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he passed over Gilead and Manasseh, and passed over Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizpah of Gilead he passed over into the children of Ammon. So the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah. So he, he, he was... Um, he was somebody that trusted the Lord, and the Spirit of the Lord was upon him, like, like it did in the Old Testament. But that's when he makes a mistake, and that's when he makes this crazy vow. And in verse 30, we can hear that what he vows, and, and Jephthah vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, If thou shalt without fail deliver the children of Ammon into my hands, then it shall be that whatsoever cometh forth of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the children of Ammon, shall surely be the Lord's, and will offer it up for a burnt offering. So, I don't know about you, but what was he expecting to come out of his house to meet him? Was he, you know, was he expecting his dog or his cat? Like, was God going to be, you know, you know, take that as a burnt offering? Was he going to accept that? Like, what did he think, you know, that was going to come out? Like, did he have cattle living with him in his house? Like, we have cattle, and yeah, we have Jersey cattle, and the calves are like one of the cutest animals you'll ever see, but we don't want them in the house. They make a mess. So, even if they had a dirt floor, they'd have to clean it up like a couple times a day. So, um, but what, what did he think that would come out of his house to meet him? The thing is, we can see that he didn't think, because if he would have thought, if he would have thought it through, he would have thought of the possibility, well, maybe one of my family. And he only had one daughter. He didn't have any other sons or daughters. So there's either going to be his daughter or it's going to be his wife. Or maybe one of his pets, but God does, did, didn't allow sacrifice of dogs or cats. Um, so he, sh- he should have considered that possibility that, that it could have been his daughter. You know, people often, they'll get zealous like this and, and they'll, they'll say things without thinking them through. 
And that, that's what Jephthah's problem was. And so he didn't consider that possibility that it was his daughter, but that's the way it, it turned out. That's the way it happened. Let's look at verse 32. It says, So Jephthah passed over unto the children of Ammon to fight against them, and the, and the Lord delivered them into his hands. And he smote them from Aurora, even till they come to Mineth, even twenty cities, unto the plain of the vineyards with a very great slaughter. Thus the children of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. So they win the victory. Verse 34. And Jephthah came to Mizpah unto his house, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with timbrels and with dances, and she was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And it came to pass, when he saw her, that he rent his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, thou hast brought me very low, and thou art one of them that trouble me, for I have opened my mouth unto the Lord, and I cannot go back. So some people will, will say, well, did he actually do it? And they'll, they'll try to you know, bring Jewish tradition or customs into it, and you know, like, they'll, they'll try to twist the scripture. And the thing is, we can only go according to what the Bible says. It, if he really did sacrifice his daughter as a burnt offering. And look at verse 39, it says, And it came to pass at the end of two months that she returned unto her father, who did with her according to his vow, which he had vowed, and she knew no man, and it was a custom in Israel. Okay, so it says very clearly that he did with her according to his vow. And we read his vow in 31, um, and it said, Then it shall be that that whatsoever cometh forth of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the children of Ammon, shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. So, I don't know how you can twist that. If, he says, if it says he did it according to his vow, and his vow was he's going to offer it for a burnt offering, it's sad. Like, yes, it was a sin to offer her for a burnt offering, but he had already made that sin when he, he made that vow. So the problem with Jephthah wasn't that he was zealous. He was a, a, a zealous um, you know, person of Israel, but the problem was his zeal wasn't according to knowledge. So let's turn to Romans 10. And so that's the title of my message this evening. It's zeal according to knowledge. So it's not enough to have zeal. We need to have, have it with knowledge. So what is zeal? So I looked it up in the dictionary. And it says great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or an objective. The other words for uh, zeal is passion, ardor, fervor, fire, devotion, enthusiasm, and, there, and there's other ones. Um, but if you're there in Romans 10, let's look at verse 1. It says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believe it. So the Jews' problem wasn't that they, they were lukewarm. The problem was not that they, they didn't have zeal, but the problem was they didn't have it according to knowledge. They were not accepting God's righteousness through his Son, and, and, and that being a substitution for us, but rather they're going about to establish their own righteousness. And the thing is, the Jews don't have a corner on it. Every single false religion out there is trying to establish their own righteousness. I grew up Mennonite, and they're trying to establish their own righteousness. And I didn't think I was good when I was a Mennonite. I thought I was bad. 
But I thought I had to establish my own righteousness. And it, it, it's every single other religion. Either they've got a false god, or they're trying to establish their own righteousness. And if they're trying to establish their own righteousness, they actually have a false god right there. If they think it, if there's a Jesus that needs his death on the cross plus their good works, they have a different Jesus. So, I mean, and, and there are, are some zealous people. Like, there's, you'll meet zealous Jews, you'll meet zealous Muslims, you know, Jehovah's False Witnesses, Mormons, um, Catholics. You know, there's people that will beat themselves and, you know, walk across, you know, broken glass and hot coals. They're zealous, but not according to knowledge. You know, they're, they're sincere, but they're sincerely wrong. And there's even zealous repent of your sins Baptists. You know, they think that you've got to stop sinning to be saved. Or, you know, at least be willing to be uh, willing to stop sinning or something like that. They make it very confusing. So, but what I want to focus on today is the zeal for the saved person. Um, remember what zeal means. It's great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or an objective. And a lot of us have zeal for the wrong things. Um, a very common one is money, right? We want to amass this, this huge for, fortune so that when we retire, we can take it easy and travel the world. So we've got, you know, we've got, I think you have 401k down here. We call it RSP up north. And, you know, you can have your stocks and your bonds and your commodities and you're checking your phone daily how your, 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 your the stock market's doing. And you have great zeal. It's like a, it's more than a hobby. You're like really into it. And you're trying to amass your fortune, um, for retirement, and, and don't get me wrong, I don't think you should be foolish with our money. Like the Bible does, you know, talk about putting away a portion for for bad times, but and we should be good good stewards of what God has given us. But money shouldn't be our focus. In First Timothy six verse nine, it says, but, "But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition." And when it says they that will be rich, that will means want to be rich. So if you want to be rich, you'll, you, you'll fall into all sorts of temptation and hurtful lusts. Um, but why have a zeal for something that you can't take with you when you die? Let's turn to Numbers chapter 16. There's only one example of anybody in the whole Bible ever being able to take it with them when they left the face of the earth. Yes, there is one time. Okay. Um, and we'll, we'll see it there in, in number 16. So number 16, uh, verse 28. This is after Korah, Dathan, and Abiram started rebelling against Moses. So number 16, verse 28. In number 16, 28, it says, And Moses said, Hereby you shall know that the Lord hath sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of mine own mind. If these men die the common death of all men, or if they be visited after the visitation of all men, then the Lord hath not sent me. But if the Lord make a new thing, and the earth open her mouth and swallow them up with all that appertain unto them, and they go down quick into the pit, then you shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. And it came to pass, as he made an end of speaking all these words, that the ground clave asunder that was under them, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up in their houses, and all the men that appertain unto Korah and all their goods... They and all that are opportune to them went down alive into the pit, and the earth closed upon them, and they perished from among the congregation. So you see there, Korah and all their goods. So that's the only person that I could find anywhere that they could take it with them when they left, but it didn't do them a bit of good. So why would we put our zeal towards 
you know, collecting our treasures here on earth. Um, what else are people zealous about besides money? I don't, I don't know this for sure in the States, but I'm pretty sure. Sports, okay? Up in Canada, we have crazy people who paint their face, you know, team color. Uh, we had a guy in our uh, little, like we live in the country, but this is about 15 minutes away of town. A guy in a neighboring, we call them provinces, you have states. So there's neighboring province um, was his team that he liked, Saskatchewan. So he paint, I think he painted his face green. Maybe he did not, but he put it on a green cape, and you're around around screaming around, around the town because his team won against our province team. And was, I don't get it, but you're making a fool of yourself just because of, of sports, right? And, I, I mean, I'm not totally innocent. I, I like hockey, and in the past I've really been into that. Um, what else do people get passionate about? Um, politics. The question is, does it really matter who gets in, or are they just fooling you and letting you believe that it makes a difference? I mean, we're up in Canada. We hear the news here, you know, in the, in the United States about your election. And, I mean, just from a purely selfish point of view, I'm glad that Hillary didn't get in. Just So I didn't have to listen to her annoying voice on the sound bites. I mean, Trump's a wicked person, but at least I don't have to listen to that. It's just a selfish thing. But what, what do people do? They'll, you know, they'll put up lawn signs, you know, they'll vote for such and such. Uh, you know, they'll go to rallies and they'll, you know, scream and, and they'll argue with people about politics till they're blue in the face, right? But those same people, I mean, we're talking about saved people now, they're, they don't want to go up to somebody and give them the gospel. They're, they're either too shy or they don't want to, you know, have any friction. They want everything to go nice. Um, so they don't want to go and knock somebody's door and try to give them the gospel. Um, in Colossians 3.1, it says, If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth, for ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. So, people, including saved people, we have zeal but all sorts of useless things. And I just listed a few there. Um, but zeal in itself is not wrong. In fact, God wants us to have zeal. He wants us to be passionate. In Revelation 3.14, he's talking to the church, the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. He says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Okay, if you're hot, you have passion, you have zeal. If you're cold, you don't have any. But just riding the fence on anything, you don't want to upset the apple cart. You don't want, you know, your other Christian friends to be, you know, mad at you or upset because you admit that you believe the reprobate doctrine or, you know, you're not in favor of the Zionist doctrine. We've got to have passion. I mean, you don't have to get in your face about the doctrines that you believe, but you don't want to be embarrassed about them either. In um, Colossians 3, verse 23, it says, And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. So whatever we do, we should do it heartily, like as if we're actually directly working for God. Like at our job, in our life, we should be doing it as if we're doing it unto the Lord. Um, Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, 
that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and listen to this, and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. So he wants a peculiar people that are zealous of good works. He doesn't want us to just go out soul winning because we feel we have to. We should be zealous about it. We, we should want to make a difference. He wants us to be passionate about the things of God, but according to knowledge, not ignorantly. Um, and that's one of the things I really like about Pastor McMurtry and, and other pastors like them, like him. They have a, a great zeal for God. Um, even if it's not popular, they preach what they preach, they do it anyway. And, but it isn't just blind, blind zeal. Because they're taught something in Bible college or in a commentary somewhere. They've studied it out themselves. And, and they see what the Word of God says themselves. And they're not scared to admit it when they're wrong and, and, and say, I used to believe this, now I believe that. Because the Bible says. And it's, it's really good to have churches spring up all across America and the world that, that are of that mind that the Bible is actually their final authority, not just where the Bible agrees with what they were taught. Um, and it takes a real man to admit that, especially if they had taught it publicly. So Acts chapter 18, you can turn there if you want. Yeah, actually, yeah, turn to Acts 18. We'll start in verse 24. Acts 18, verse 24. So Acts 18.24 says, And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. And when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who, when he was come, helped them much, which had believed through grace. For he mightily convinced the Jews, not publicly, showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. So here was a guy, a certain Jew, and his name was Apollos. Um, and he was, it's, the Bible says he was an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures. Okay, so this guy wasn't just, you know, had never read his Bible. He was mighty in the scriptures, the Bible says. But he could still take this, this um, correction or, or this, this teaching from Aquila and, and Priscilla. They, they, he took this Apollos onto him and then they expounded the word of God more perfectly onto him. So he could take that correction, even though he was already zealous. I mean, he says he's fervent in the spirit. Being fervent is another word for being zealous. He was fervent in the spirit, but he could still take correction. So... He already had the zeal, but, the, you know, they fine-tuned his doctrine a little bit. Okay, so, so we, we talked about some things that don't really matter, that we shouldn't have zeal for, but what should we have zeal for? What, what are the important things? Well, if we're saved, we should, you know, find out what's important to God and see what, what the Word of God tells us and what, what, uh, what to be zealous about. If you turn to Second Peter's, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, um, you can turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, and I'll read for you from Colossians 3, verse 16 and 17. So you're going to 2 Peter chapter 1. Colossians 3, 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. So we see that 
we should have the, the, the word of Christ dwelling in us richly, not just sort of, you know, kind of know John 3.16. We should have it richly. We should have parts of the Bible memorized. We should be reading through our Bible. You know, we should read through our Bible daily. Like the, the word of God likens the word of God to manna, and the, the children of Israel had to gather it daily. And that's what we should do. I mean, if you're just, you know, uh, Joe Bartimaeus Christian out there, you should be reading it through at least once a year. Um, but if you're somebody that wants to, you know, learn how to preach or, you know, be a pastor someday, we should be reading it multiple times through a year. Um, if you're there in Second Peter's, Second Peter 1, verse 5, it says, And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. And to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in verse 5 there it says, giving all diligence. So if you're diligent about something, it's not just going to be a casual interest. You're going to be diligent about it as if that's what keeps you alive. And, but verse 9 says, But he that lacketh these things is blind, and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Okay, so it, it gives you a list. You know, first you start with faith, and then you add virtue, and then virtue, and then knowledge. And you, you stack up all these, all, all these things. And, but he say, he, Peter's saying here that whoever lacks these things is blind. And he can't see afar far off and he's forgotten even that he's purged from his sins um, another thing that we should be zealous about is something one of the last things and I think the last thing Jesus talks to his disciples about in Mark chapter 16 verse 15 says and he said unto them go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature so we should be zealous about soul winning uh, so more important than if you're Republican or Democrat or, or if you're a Chicago Blackhawks fan or a Winnipeg Jets fan more important than Chevy or Ford or Pepsi or Coke is that we go reach the gospel, bring the gospel to people that are lost. Amen. I mean, it's so easy to forget when we were unsaved what we thought about hell, okay? When I, when I was unsaved, I worried about hell because I, I didn't know how I was going to get there because I knew I wasn't good enough, okay? And we should, we should think of that when, when we're giving the gospel to people that even though we're saved, hell is still a fire, you know? Even though we have salvation, that fire lasts forever. And, and we should think of that when we give the gospel to people and we're going out soul winning, that it's not something we just do to go through the motions to be obedient, but something that we should be zealous about. Jude 1 verse 22 says, And of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. And Hate, hate's a strong word. It's so strong that a lot of um, old independent fundamental Baptists don't like to use it much. Um, but we have to have zeal according to knowledge. Um, not just zeal, but doing the right types of things, like you know, not doing the worldly things, but doing the spiritual things. But we've got to do the spiritual things right, too. We've got to do those according to knowledge. Um, because what, if, what does it help if we have a, bur- like a burning desire in us? We want to get these people saved. We want to go 100 miles per hour and just get these people saved and we go hundreds of thousands of tracks. Like we're not doing it according to knowledge. 
We're just, we got this great zeal, but we're not doing it according to knowledge. Um, because the Bible says, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So people actually got to hear the gospel. You, you can't just pass with this track. And most people anyway will just throw it in the garbage. Like there's the odd one, you know, a few in a thousand maybe that, that will read it and maybe come visit the church. So not that that's totally useless, but the better way to do it is actually knock on somebody's door and, and tell them if, or ask them if, if they know that they're going to heaven when they die. And so maybe we realize that, you know, passing a tracks isn't the best way to do it and that the mailman could do it way more efficiently than us. Okay, so we realize that. Okay, so we're, we're, we're into soul winning and, and we get zealous about soul winning. And, you know, we're, we're so excited, you know, about this, this total number of salvations, you know, from the whole group or, or in a year that, that we just want to report back a number so that we're not thorough enough when we give the gospel. We're, you know, talking to people about eternal security after we pray with them. Or, you know, not asking them questions. What if you do, what if you commit murder? Or what if you commit suicide? You know, like, it's, it's surprising how many times you think you got somebody, you got the gospel explained to them, and then you bring that up. What about suicide? Oh, suicide. No, that, then you're for sure going to hell. You know, you have to be thorough. You have to be zealous about doing it right. Um, you know, we don't want to just be caught up in this feeling of success. Um, you know, with the total number of salvations that we don't do it thoroughly. Um, I mean, you know, I've heard of old IFB churches doing that, where they'll just talk about eternal security after they pray with somebody. Actually, I've, I've been there where somebody's done that. That was out in Toronto. Won't mention any names. Anyway, um, but we also want to be zealous about other doctrines too, not just about soul winning. Um, so, we, but again, according to knowledge. We don't want to just take one verse and run with it. We don't want to just, you know, twist something to, to suit our our idea of how something should be. Um, we don't want to just see something in a YouTube video and go nuts. Like, flat earth, yeah! Or, uh, what's the other one? Sons of gods are aliens. I've heard that, right? I'm sure you all have heard that. Um, yeah, we won't match the Sluder or Doka's name there. But anyway... <laughs> We are saved people, so let's give diligence to add to our faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. Okay, we want to have that knowledge when we have a zeal. And where do we get the knowledge from? It's from the Word of God. In Isaiah 28, verse 9, it says, Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from their breasts. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. I mean... If you just go on a marathon and read this through in, you know, two weeks, it's like drinking from a fire hydrant. You're not going to get all the nutrients out of it. you got to start small, you know, line upon line, precept upon precept, and eventually, after many times reading through the Bible, you'll understand things. I had a pastor that said he didn't encourage people to read through the, the Bible in a year. You should rather, you know, study, a, they could take a verse or two or three and then study it. But the thing is, if you're doing that without the, the, the frame of the rest of the Bible, how are you going to understand those verses? You're just going to go on a, a wild uh, goose chase. And there, there are so many Christians, zealous Christians, that want to know more. So what do they do? They go to Bible college. Okay? And 
obviously a lot of people have done it. But if you're in a church like this, and I'm sure you already know it, you don't need Bible college. Even people in an old IFB, like a lame old IFB church, they don't need Bible college. They'll just mess them up worse than they are. Um, I mean, they'll get all zealous about Zionism, dispensationalism, the pre-trip rapture, beards on men, or striped ties. Yeah, that's a new, was a new one for me too, striped ties. I just <laughs> didn't let people preach that have striped ties. But anyway, none of which are taught in the Bible, by the way. None of them. Uh, Romans 10.2 says, For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Um, beards on men and striped ties make me think of something else. And that's being overly zealous. Being so zealous that you just, at a drop of a hat, you're calling somebody a heretic or a reprobate. Okay, there is such a thing as a babe in Christ. Obviously, if somebody has the wrong gospel, well, they're just not saved. You've got to get them saved. Um, and obviously, a saved person won't be a reprobate either. But even otherwise, because, just because somebody doesn't understand a certain doctrine, they maybe haven't even thought it through before, you're not going to say they're unsaved right away and boot them out of a church. Um, now, I, I'm for calling out heretics and for calling out reprobates and throwing them out of the church. That, that's something the Bible commands us to do. But if, if we're talking about a new believer here, and it's something that we think is fundamental, but maybe that person hasn't really considered the, any part of that doctrine, we shouldn't go overboard. In uh, Romans 16, verse 17, it says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the heart of the simple. But let's not go off half-cocked about that, though, either. Let's, Let's do it, for sure, but let's do it wisely. In Colossians 4, verse 6, it says, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. So, just to review, we should be zealous according to knowledge. So we should be zealous about reading the Bible, we should be zealous about soul winning, but lastly, we should be zealous about edifying our fellow church members. In uh, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 12, it says, Even so ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. Actually, if you would, turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, James 5.16 says, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So you can be zealous in your prayer for one another. You can be fervent about your prayer. And it says it availeth much if you're a righteous man. There's an example of that. Somebody named Epaphras um, in Colossians. And Paul writes about him. It says, in Colossians 4, verse 12, it says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you and them that are in Laodicea and them in Hierapolis. So here's a guy who's, who's praying for his fellow Christians. He's, it says he's laboring fervently. Like, I don't know if I've ever prayed so hard that you call it laboring, especially not laboring fervently, but we should do that. And he, and he had a great zeal for them. He wanted them to succeed. Um, in Hebrews 10, if you're there, let's look at verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he, he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, 
not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So what we do affects others in church as well. You might think if you miss a service, well, nobody will notice. There's people that look up to you that you might not even realize. There's children in the congregation that look up to the older ones, younger children to older children, uh, older children to the adults. They look up to you. And even adults to adults. There's, there, there's people in the past that I've looked up to. And if, if you're not there and they see, or, or you're not going out soul winning, they get disappointed. Or, or they might think, well, if that guy, he's more mature than I, doesn't, doesn't go soul winning, why should I? Because, because this mature Christian is, is doing this and, and then really maybe it's not a big deal if I don't either. So we should be zealous of, of provoking one another to good works, praying for our fellow church members, and, and other people will, will get disappointed if, if you don't go soul winning. Like, is it so often, um, you know, you're looking forward to meeting your, your, your church friends at soul winning or even a different type of church event, and then the, the, the people aren't there. Because the church isn't all just about Bible preaching and soul winning. It's also fellowship is, is, a, is a big part of, of church. Um, and just to close, I'll read for you uh, from Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. So let's pray. Thank you, God, uh, for gathering us here together. Thank you that it's still legal to gather together and hear your word preached in Canada and the USA. Just uh, let's not take that for granted and help, help us to be zealous of your word, but not ignorantly. Help us be zealous according to knowledge. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you very much.